Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. As the energy capital of the world, Houston is the obvious home base for a global player in sustainability. Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams profiles Octopus Energy and CEO Michael Lee. Michael, tell me about yourself. What got you interested in energy? I've been in energy for about a little over a decade. Back in 2009, I lived in Western Massachusetts for working at GE in their petrochemical division. And a lot of wind turbines wanted to be built and everyone had an emotional reason for why or why not they should be built. And I just figured a financial reason was uh, a more appropriate one and got into the world of energy finance from that and never looked back. It's exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I was looking at your LinkedIn a little while ago and I noticed that you've, you've run the gamut for places that you've worked at as far as energy goes. <laughs> You know, this is an ever-changing industry. What's valuable and the future of the industry is definitely going to be around renewables. And it's very exciting to be all throughout that industry so far. Yeah. So I saw that you had your own energy company, Evolve, before it was acquired by Octopus Energy. How did that acquisition come about? So I built Evolve Energy back in 2018 with a thesis that we're going to be bringing on a lot of renewable energy. And the opportunity of renewables is that it produces a bunch of really low cost and abundant energy, but it's not controllable. You can't push a button and make a solar panel turn on in the middle of the night. And you can't push a button and make a wind turbine turn on if it's not windy. But what you can do is control energy usage because the production profile of renewables is quite predictable. And if that's the case, then through things like automating EV charging, thermostats, batteries, water heaters, we can actually accommodate that renewable energy by absorbing them when they're abundant. And so I created Evolve back in 2018 to try to explore how to maximally do that while also bring down costs for customers. And that customer centricity plus demand flexibility focus was really quite aligned to Octopus. And they realized that could be a really interesting way for their U.S. expansion is through the acquisition of Evolve, uh, which happened just a couple of years ago here in Texas. Do you kind of want to talk about Octopus and what that is? Yeah, so Octopus Energy, we are a global retailer. Uh, while we've only been around for about seven years now, eight years, we've grown to almost a dozen countries that we're in. We're nearly 8 million customers of which we serve under our own brand, but we also have our own tech platform that serves all of our data infrastructure needs, as well as billing and meter reading and device management. And we call that Kraken, and that sits underneath Octopus Energy Group. And we license that software so that way other retailers and utilities can reinvent their own business to be uh, highly enabled to succeed in this renewable energy future. When you started Evolve, what made you kind of want to build that initially? You know, I took a look at the existing retailers and realized retail energy is broken. It has an enormous opportunity to bring competition to lower customers' costs. But what I call Retail 1.0, a lot of the incumbents, the entities that currently exist, 
they're really focused on extracting value away from customers instead of actually creating value for customers. And so when I took a look at what the opportunities are to reinvent this industry, along with all the load flexibility items that I talked about earlier, I realized the cheapest bills that we could possibly send customers could be for those who have the most flexibility. And so really thinking about reinvention of what a customer feels in the world of energy has such an enormous opportunity in the world of retail. But I realized that the retail incumbents would likely not reinvent their own business unless a disruptor from the outside came to really challenge the status quo. What were some of the challenges in you know starting Evolve? Look, I think it's not just building a retailer, right? Building a retailer is you know quite complicated. We need access to ERCOT and wholesale markets and an organization that can work with customers and communicate with customers. And of course, doing all of that in a new paradigm that's about none of the bad practices of retail 1.0, but actually reinventing retail energy to be much more like Apple or Amazon. Brands that are trusted and customers enjoy actually interacting with because they're actually providing real value. So how do we build a retailer that doesn't have the legacy issues and the legacy culture challenges, as well as incorporating technology into the things that we do? Load automation, which means integration into EVs to smart charge them. You know, People wonder why I talk so much about EVs. It's because to travel with an EV is about a dollar a gallon equivalent for using electricity versus gasoline. So it's just way cheaper to drive an EV car than an internal combustion engine car. You don't have to care about the environment. All you have to care about is saving money. And so I see there's just this trajectory between the energy transition, which means people are electrifying their heat, their transportation, their hot water, mostly because it's just cheaper. But all that stuff has IoT or Wi-Fi connectivity and APIs and about connecting into the back end of that and building that technology platform to help automate that usage to respond to real-time grid signals. And I think the big challenge of creating Evolve was building a modern retailer as well as building a modern tech company, all within an ecosystem and an industry that's quite frankly still feels like everyone else is operating in 1995. And so it was about reinvention a lot of things within this industry. How did you achieve that? Just like a lot of good early stage companies, a big vision with a great team that's really focused on solving an incredibly hard but valuable problem to go solve. I think that finding great people is the hardest part, but also the best part. Because as you find people that may not have an energy background, but are committed to solving big problems and important problems, once you have them in an organization, they can go do some incredible stuff. So the big part of our journey over the past few years is just bringing world-class talent from all industries, including the tech industry, into a very stagnant and boring industry called electricity. But it's so vital as we go significantly increase our electricity usage over the next two or three decades as we move away from a molecule-based society into an electron-based society. And we need to make sure that those electrons are as clean and low carbon as possible. Yeah. And so are you seeing that kind of mindset evolve from 1995, any at all? 
Yes, I think there's a few things that are happening. Hopefully more and more of those classic retailers that everyone here in Texas has been burned with. I want to see that industry just just move away. Like we should not have retail 1.0. It's very extractive. It's not beneficial for customers. They tease you with a really low contract rate just to get people on a really high post-contract variable rate. And we've all had it happen to us. So I think what we're seeing is a migration of that very classic but extractive business model. And it's kind of dying. It's dying because it's not good for customers. It's also dying because this industry is becoming more volatile and they don't have the capacity to fully get through the market volatility that we're seeing on the power markets. And so I think what we're seeing is a shift away from the old business model and into the new business model. And I get excited about that because I'm more than happy to compete on customer centricity, value. You know, these are things that I love to compete on. I don't want to compete on bad terms of service and flashy names just to lock people into extremely high early termination fees. That's not a great business model. So I think we're seeing a migration. The big question are the dinosaurs. Are the dinosaurs able, and what I mean by dinosaurs, I mean the the big three-letter acronym brands that have been around for 20 years, are they going to be able to reinvent their businesses to be the Apple and Amazon of energy, or am I going to get to that first and disrupt their market? And so what were some of the challenges of transitioning to Octopus? You know, the classic challenge for an entrepreneur who is moving away from a independent business and into you know selling that business and being part of a larger organization, stereotypically and quite classically is suffocation of that entrepreneurial spirit. That tends to be the normal path for a lot of entrepreneurs. And that's why you kind of see great startups when they do sell their businesses leave after a couple of years because they don't feel empowered to keep building and executing and disrupting. That's not the case that I've had here with Octopus. We have a very unique management model. It's very decentralized. There's a high trust, high agency, a lot of local decision-making, given that the people on the ground know the most about the things that are happening in their own unique market. So I kind of like to say it's the best of both worlds. I get all the culture of a small entrepreneurial startup where we have big visions and want to go do stuff in a highly disruptive way with a low bureaucracy layer to go execute. But we have all the financial backing of a large organization. We recently just raised another $800 million of new equity capital. We just announced that a few weeks ago. And so that combination of that financial capacity plus the quickness and agility of a young startup company. It's such a winning combination here at Octopus. That's been so exciting to be a part of. What are some of the challenges you're facing now at Octopus? You know, I think in any ways, it's kind of growing pains, right? Like I think we're just growing so rapidly and so healthy that it's really exciting to be a part of that. ERCOT is changing, right? This industry is changing. We see so much grid volatility in how we move from each different hour of the day. We go from 
constraints to abundance to constraints to abundance. And uh, while that's not really a challenge per se, it's actually more of an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really accelerate into the things that we do really well, which is help move energy usage, you know, nudge it a little bit ahead or nudge it a little bit back, smart charge people's cars based on grid conditions. And that opportunity for finding pockets of extremely low cost, but abundant renewable energy. Every single day, for example, when we are between, call it 11 a.m. and 4 p.m., we have way more solar energy on the grid than we know what to do with. And that is perfect opportunity for us. We wanna soak up all of those abundant electrons. And when we do that, we create cost deflation for ourselves because we're buying that really low cost power on behalf of our customers. And we pass that savings on to our customer rate structures. And so that opportunity to create all that demand flexibility and usage flexibility to create deflationary and lower energy costs is a huge opportunity. But it also means that we're working with customers differently. And so a lot of customers are still so used to being guarded whenever they interact with a retail energy provider because so many retail energy providers are just awful, just completely awful. And they've been burned so many times that as we come to market, like we're one of the very few, if not the only five-star rated companies on Power to Choose, but yet we have all of these demand response products. In fact, we have only like two or 3% of our commands ever being overrode from our customers. They don't even realize the little things that we're doing in the background to help automate and fine tune how and when they're using power. So I think one of the bigger challenges still is customers have been so jaded by being treated poorly by other retailers and rightfully so. This industry is just full of bad actors that as we come to market, to really reinvent that customer experience, it takes a little bit of time to build that trust. But once they do, the reviews speak for themselves and we're just very excited about that. Next, Michael Lee shares what makes Octopus Energy different from other retailers when Texas Business Minds continues. At Texas Mutual, we work vigilantly to investigate and prevent workers' compensation insurance fraud, which has resulted in over $13.5 million in restitution and recoveries for Texas businesses since 2018. Learn how your business is better at texasmutual.com fraud. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was what you do to stand out from other bigger retailers in a world where most people are using them. I think it's just core principles are just very different. And we just try to communicate who we are and our principles to customers. And I know that sounds odd as a retailer, right? Like at the end of the day, people just want to buy electricity. But I like to say electricity is a high trust product. It's invisible. You have no idea how many buckets of electricity you're buying because you can't put it in a bucket. You can't put it in a box. You can't put it in a shopping cart and you know check out with it. It is an invisible product that just happens to be used people don't even know why they're using it, where it goes, or what they can do to reduce their bills. And so that invisible product requires an ever-increasing amount of trust with customers. And so we want to build that trust by communicating our brand values, you know, what we're really focused on, also our business model that like, 
you know, a lot of other companies, they will subsidize and create loss-making products for their on-contract rates, and they pay for it by doubling or tripling the rate as soon as a customer goes off contract. So they're more than happy to make extreme profits for just a couple of months just to lock that customer in to pretty much guarantee it. So that's not our business model. And we talk about how the tricks of the past need to stop. We talk about how we want to help customers reduce their bills for the right reasons, because it's through more optimally timing how and when they use power. And by the way, there's a positive externality to that, which is a more resilient grid. As we have more customers flexing their usage throughout the day to accommodate when the grid is in high stress events versus high abundance, that may be a actual thing that customers are focused on for reducing their own bills. But we do it enough, we actually get the entire grid to just become much more resilient as we have weather challenges. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that too. ERCOT has increasingly been on Texans' minds since the February 2021 winter storm. And I was curious as to how a weather event like that affects and impacts retail companies like yours. So just kind of a high-level example, the average customer usage that goes from a you know typical January day, maybe like today, to a extremely cold January day, like we had a week ago, there is a 2x, almost 3x increase in customer usage. And that's all centered around the thermostat, right? People are just trying to keep their house comfortable during that extreme event, which means retail energy companies, we need to go buy more power, right? We need to go buy power on behalf of our customers to make sure that they can keep their lights on. And so it impacts us in a pretty material way that we need to make sure that we always have enough purchased for our customers. So we're constantly thinking, how do we have enough supply to balance our customers' demand. And that's actually the same thing that ERCOT is thinking about, but they're just thinking about it at the total system level. And so when we go through events like we had this January, we're constantly thinking about, well, not every hour through the day is as risky as each other. There's actually only a couple of hours throughout the day where supply and demand are kind of at that point of being stressed. So how do we work with customers to, again, save them costs, but also shift their usage to a time where the grid is not so stressed, you know, maybe preheat their homes. No one's ever going to argue about extra heat. Preheat their homes, at least in the wintertime. We'll definitely argue about it in the summertime. But going into a, a winter event, what we have is we go through these pockets of abundance. And how do we absorb that abundance? superheat or preheat people's homes. So that way, as we go through the times of constraints, people don't even notice because they don't need to be using their heaters. And so those types of events are quite dynamic for our organization. They're quite high focus, but actually they're quite fun because we're able to help reinforce the quality of the grid while also reducing our customers' bills at the exact same time. Gotcha. And so how are Texas retail customer preferences starting to change? I would say, in fact, maybe they're not changing in that price is the thing that matters the most, right? We need to keep focus. That's the whole concept of retail energy in general, is that with competition, we are able to compete on price and lower prices for customers. 
where I get excited about is uniquely at Octopus, we're super focused on reducing costs through optimization of how and when people use power. So that creates a win-win-win. It's a win for our customers, it's a win for us, and it's a win for the grid. Like that is a perfect combination of creating value and sharing value, whereas other companies may give a low price, because again, price is the thing customers care about and their preferences, and that really hasn't changed, but they only do so by extracting value later through hidden fees or high variable rates. And it's kind of a zero sum game of kind of a negative game for customers. We can actually create a positive sum game for customers by using technology in a very different way in this very old industry. When there's an expected kind of like grid lock, I guess, if you will, how does your business prepare for that? I think there's a lot of uncertainty in how we prepare for it, right? So just to give you a bigger picture, we went through such an event here in January over the past few weeks where we actually had higher grid usage from a system-wide usage level than what Yuri would have been had we kept every power plant online. That just shows you the rapid growth over the past two years of more people moving here, more businesses moving here, more factories moving here, more data centers moving here, more everything moving here. And that trend will only continue. So I think what we're going to see as we go forward is I think just, you know, ERCOT has a really hard job there and they get blamed for a lot of stuff. In fact, they get blamed on unnecessarily. There's a lot of other political reasons for why blame is cast on them instead of other people owning the results. They're like an air traffic controller. They're just trying to coordinate stuff. And part of that coordination is predicting what is the total system-wide energy usage. And there is a, in a wonky term, non-linear or exponential increase of energy usage for every degree colder it gets. And in the summer, every degree hotter it gets. And unless somebody has a perfect magic ball and is perfectly able to predict the weather, which even, you know, you watch TV, no one's able to fully predict the weather. It could be off by a degree or two. And right. what you're talking about is many gigawatts of change. So ERCOT has this crazy challenge of predicting total energy usage. They also have a challenge of predicting which power plants are actually going to be available and trying to marry those two. And that's a very challenging problem. So when we get prepared for all of this, we kind of do that same exercise and we realize the world of the future continues to have even more uncertainty because there's just so many things that are changing, whether it's more demand for power or changing and more power plants. And so marrying those, these two up is things that are important. But what we do to prepare is not just look at that piece like everyone else does, but we also try to build real flexibility within our portfolio. So that way, if the view of the world that we have is imperfect and incorrect, which by the way, any forecast is, we have a lot of tools in our back pocket as an organization to adapt to uncertainty and to adapt to an ever-changing environment. And that is exciting for us, that's resilient for us. And as other retailers and ERCOT adapt those same principles, that's how we'll have the most resilient grid is by having the most amount of optionality and flexibility in our back pockets system-wide. And so what are some common misconceptions people may have about retail energy companies? 
I think that a lot of misconception is that retailers don't add any value. I think that that is probably true for retail 1.0. I think that the incumbents and the historical business model have underdelivered and underserved customers. I think as we look forward at the energy transition, people don't quite realize what an energy future looks like. What that likely looks like is a 2x or 3x of electric consumption for the average residential customer. And it's not because they like buying electricity, you know, it's electricity. I think it is going to be because they want to save money. Going forward, the cheapest vehicles, not just to buy, but also to operate, will be electric vehicles. So unless somebody wants to pay a premium, they're going to get a really cheap electric vehicle. And like I said, it's going to be less than a dollar a gallon equivalent to charge it with electricity. So people will be choosing electric heat, electric hot water, electric transportation, just because those are going to be the cheapest options to get the job done, which is stay warm and stay comfortable and get to the places that they want to go. As they do all of that, they'll realize, hey, this thing called retail energy has a really important relationship. And is that entity that I'm working with, are they taking advantage of that relationship? Or are they actually building real value? And that's kind of no different than what Amazon has been able to do, right? If you think about the parallel industry, Amazon just sells the same stuff that you could get anywhere else. But what they did is they found a way to demonstrate real meaningful value. It makes it easy for customers. It's low cost. They find unique ways to take costs out of their system and make that experience easy and beautiful. I think the modern retail relationship will be on those same elements. Is your retailer actually making your life easier? Is it making your life cheaper? And if those things are true, then that will be your new retail energy provider going forward. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Texas. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.